Okay, Parshat Mishpatim. I would like to dedicate this year tonight. Rosh Chodesh Adar is the yurtzer of my grandfather, Oliver Shalom. Okay. Second, Yaakov Ben Shmuel, Jack Friedman, and uh, I told my father today that we were going to dedicate this year in his father's memory, um, and he kind of choked on the phone, and. Uh, he was a very special human being, a really edel nishama. So we're going to dedicate this. Uh, we're going to dedicate this learningly ilu nishmato parshat mishpatim. One of the more difficult um, forms of warfare is something called lashab. Lashab lechima b'shetach banui is urban warfare, and you know, sort of over the years, more and more. I actually did a lot more training on this in the reserves than I did in the regular army. Because back then, it wasn't such a big deal. We were in tanks. This has become more and more, it's pretty much acceptable that the next war Israel fights between Hezbollah in the north and Hamas on the west um, will probably involve a lot of Lashab, a lot of Lechimah B'Shetach Banui. Urban warfare is much more difficult warfare for all sorts of reasons. Um, civilian populations, um, the complexity of navigating to an exact point when every building looks the same, um, the fact that you have to make sure every single room and every single point in a building is cleared before you can move on to the next building and so on and so forth. Um, and one of the things they teach you how to do is how to take a building. And you do this again and again. There are these special urban warfare centers that were built in the country. I'm not going to mention because this is being recorded where they are. Um, and you, you, know, you practice this. You go to Miluim and for hours and hours and hours and hours you just do it again and again. Right? How to be Soger Pina, how to take a room... Um, how, to, how to break open the door and not catch the bullets that might come through it. And one of the things that's interesting about this is how much working in a team is critical to making this work, okay? When you're going into a room, okay, and there's a special way that you push off the door jam diagonally so that you're not in that open space for long, as you're going into a room, you know, John Wayne movies aside, you can't, you're not useful from a strategic perspective to fire. Your goal is to get inside the room and adjust your eyesight. And the problem is that when you're entering a room, right, somebody has to cover you. Now the person who has to cover you, he's got to lean out. And there's a whole way to do this, you know, to tuck your arm in, right, to kind of lean out so that your knees are not exposed. The less of you exposed, the less likely you'll get hit. And there's an instant where you have to time it as you roll into the room, Right? It's not really a roll, it's more like a back and forth. He's got to lean about and cover you from above. You're crouched low, he's up high, and you have to work in perfect tandem. If one of you moves out too soon, you can catch a bullet. Right? If he isn't there for you, and there's someone waiting on the other side of that door jam, you're done. I didn't understand the full weight of this when we were training. Because when you're training, you know, there's a person who's a madrich, and every year in Miloim or every other year, you would go back and do this again and again. You get pretty good at it, right? And you begin to take it for granted, right? And then, you know, eventually they'll take you on a paintball exercise, which the first time you do it, think is going to be a lot of fun. It turns out it's really not fun at all. Getting hit with paintballs can actually be very painful. Um, and you find out whether you got it right. And if you're leaning out too much and your elbow is out, then the instructors who do this, who are experts, they will hit you with a paintball in the elbow, and it is really painful, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And you finish with all these bruises, right? 
And that's all about the technical side of it, and you don't get it. Until something real happens, and you actually have to go into a room like that. And then you realize that the most important thing is not whether you've learned to tuck your elbow in or keep your knee out of harm's way. You've got that habit down. Do you know what the most important thing is? Is this guy standing on top of you, who you can't see because you're focused forward. Is he doing what he's meant to do? He has to do something that's nuts. He has to lean in to a room where in this particular case I'm thinking of, you actually know there's a terrorist in there. And he has to do something that's insane. He has to lean out to see if he's going to catch a bullet. And he has to do that exactly at the same time that you move in, right? After whatever was thrown into the room. And I got to tell you, there are very few instances in this world. Did you ever do... Um, in summer camp, a ropes course. You ever do ropes course? You know there's this thing on the ropes course where you have to fall backwards, you have to catch you. There's this trust issue, right? Well, that is nothing compared to this. Like, you suddenly realize that if he doesn't get it right, you're not going home. It's just that simple. It's a whole different level of trust. Right? Now, why do I tell you that? Because this week, Parshat Mishpatim, otherwise known as Mishpatim, it's a fascinating Parsha. And I want to share with you three quick ideas that come from this week's parsha that are critical ideas. They're, they're life-changing ideas. They're the essence of, of who we're meant to be. Okay? There are a number of interesting questions in this week's parsha. Right? First of all, we've been having this fantastic, I don't know, it's like a movie. Right? Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov and, and, and Joseph and the brothers, and then down to Egypt, out of Egypt, plague, splitting sea, this, it's a movie. It's a powerful, inspiring, motivating, pulse-grabbing narrative. And we're in the middle of the story. We got out of Egypt, we go to Harsina. We get the Ten Plagues. Right? We get the Ten Commandments. That's an interesting Freudian slip. We get the Ten Commandments, right? Aserot What's the next part of the story? Moshe is after 40 days. What happens next? We all know what happens next. That's the next. That's a big story. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, Mishpatim. All about laws. What to do if you have an evidivri, if you have a servant, and he wants to go, but he doesn't want to go, and should you let him go, and who's going to go, and what about if he wants to stay longer? And then you get into all these, you know, you have Shabbos, and you have Yamtuf, and you have if you hit the slave, if there's only one pillow, what about, you know, sort of being ethical, midvar sheker tirchak, right? Laws of justice, hilchos nezikin, laws of damages, if you hit a guy, did you take his blood, did you not take his blood? What's all this doing here? You know, it's like you get to school and you're all excited, you're starting high school. How many guys here raise your hand if you, start, if you switch schools and start high school in ninth grade? Right? Did you switch to another school in ninth grade? Or were you in the same yeah. school, right? So remember that first day you get there, on the one hand it's a little intimidating, the other hand it's exciting, like I'm in high school. Right? So imagine you get to school the first day, they tell you you're going to be in so-and-so sheer, and he comes in, you come in, it's a first day of school, and you're all excited you're in high school, and he says, okay, and he says, we're going to do a toast to us now. And you're like, like, where did that come from? Remember the first day of a writer? 
there were two first days of a writer this year, right? There was the first day you go into the hotel, ha, ah, joke's on you, okay, right? And then we get out and we come here, right? There was no, we didn't do this whole orientation. Like, imagine you came here, you finally get out of quarantine, you're here, you know, and you come into the basement, this is going to be a basement, and say, okay, here are the rules. Like, who wants to start a year like that? Why are we interrupting for this here? What are these doing here? Right? Now, you could give me a pshat answer. What's the pshat answer? What's the pshat answer? No? What's the pshat answer? We get the Torah at Harsinai. That's Parshat Yidro. These are the laws. This is the Torah we got. Somebody explain to me why that cannot be pshat. Pardon? Well, it's also not the entire Torah, but that's okay. There's a big debate as to how the entire Torah was given. It could be that it was given over a period of time, yeah? Right, these are the laws that we get when we get the Torah. We haven't gotten the Torah yet. Moshe Grainu comes down. He doesn't give us the Torah. We got a Sarah that wrote. That was last week. Forty days later, he comes down, and he breaks the Luchar. It's a disaster. This, this can't be the order. This is when we get the second Luchar. We don't get the Torah now. So what's this doing here? Now, you could answer that question. It's not really our topic. What is this doing here? Why, why are we... Right? Second question. If you're going to pick a mitzvah to start the whole show off with, we're going to start with laws. We've got to get into the nitty-gritty for some reason because somebody's just got to get to the Tosos. Okay, fine, right? So what would you start with? You don't start the first day in ninth grade with your vamos. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough masechta. Let's do the second dafin horios. Great idea! Except it's the most difficult dafin shas. Not a good idea. What would you start with? I bet, I bet that we come up with the top three things that you could start with. The Jewish, Jewish people are at the bottom of our Sinai. We're going to start sharing some of the mitzvahs, some of the halachas. What would you start with? Like, you want to suck them in. You want to make them feel good. Well, this is going to be great. What would you start with? Shabbos would be good. Listen, there's a set of rules. Okay? On Friday night, you know, no cell phones. But we're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to have chillin. Okay, I can live with that. Yeah. There'll be another one. Yeah? Well, um, Mitzias, second parent, first, uh, first mission. Elu Mitzias, uh, never. Okay. <laughs> so you're the Mishpatim guy. I don't know. How about, uh, how about, how about, how about, how about, how about, Vagita Bo Yoma Valayla, Limu Torah. How about, how about, Valachta Bidrachav? You know, balance. How about, how about, like, the mitzvah of samachta b'chagecha? Give me sukkahs. Let me start good. Evid Ivri? Why, why is that here? What is Evid Ivri all about? Why do we start with Evid Ivri? Strange laws, right? And maybe one last question. There is a very famous line that occurs in this week's parasha. When you ask a kid who doesn't know any better where to find that line, he always looks in last week's parasha and he never finds it. What line am I talking about? It's one of the most famous. Na'asev nishma. Perak chavdalad, na'asev nishma. Shem brings the Torah to us and we say we will do and we will listen. Okay? Why is that a mishpatim? It should be in parasha Yitro. You could make a case for saying it would be in Parashat Vayakel after we get the second Lucha. What's it doing, Mishpat? Okay? So again, three questions. 
Why all of a sudden am I interrupting the narrative with all these details, all these laws? What is Eved Ivri doing here? It's just an example. We may get to that, we may not. And third, what is Nasev and Ishma? So I want to share with you three ideas. Okay? I want to share with you three ideas. Let's talk first about Nasev and Ishma. Okay? Nasev and Ishma, as an idea, actually doesn't make a lot of sense. This is a famous question of Rabbein, well, it's famous because I know it, but Rabbein Yonah. The Rabbein Yonah is a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. It's in Perak Aleph, Mishnah Yudzain, in this Nasech, there are different Nasechos. Shimon Beno Omer, right? Shimon, the son of Rabbein Gamliel, of Shimon Gamliel, says, There's nothing better for the body, for a person, than being silent. By the way, as an aside, I personally think this relates to our discussion in the Rambam and Hilchodeot, you know, physical manifestation, right? But okay, we're not going to go there. Then he says, And the main thing is not Lidrosh, it's not the learning, it's not to understand, it's what you do. So Rabbeinu Yonah asks, can you pass me the bottle? Rabbeinu Yonah, thank you, asks a very famous question. Okay. I am so from. Rabbi Yonah asked a famous question. This doesn't make sense. What do you mean, Lo Amidrash Aikara Lamase? And this is really the question of Nasa Vinishma. What do you mean, Nasa Vinishma? We will do, and then we'll understand. What do you mean, we'll do, and then we'll understand? You can't possibly do if you don't understand. It says, We don't need to understand. We'll just start doing it. What are you going to do? You don't know what it's talking about. The Torah doesn't tell me. You have to learn what tefillin are. Take a beautiful fruit. Well, what's the fruit? And the list is endless. So, <clears throat> what is Nasev and Ishma? And yet, right? And Judaism doesn't seem to want us to abrogate our intellectual capacity. That can't be an ideal. So, what does it mean, Nasev and Ishma? So, there's a Gemara in Shabbos and Daf Pechet and Aleph. This is one of those valuable Gemaras to be aware of in terms of Agarata. Let me quote you the piece. Amr Rabbi Lazar. B'sha'ah shehigdimu Yisrael na'aseh l'nishma when the Jewish people said na'aseh you know, we don't care. Whatever it is, we'll just do it. Right? To, we'll understand it. Which was somehow considered Yatzdabatkol, a heavenly voice came out. It's on Pechet and Aleph in Shabbos. Who revealed to my children this great secret that the angels know to do? And the Gemara there talks about, you know, that, 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 that the angels bring down crowns to the Jews. Why is this such an important line? You know? I want you to imagine for a moment, okay, Joey Kaplan goes back to Chvesnish University, decides to go to business. He spends four years studying business. He has this fantastic idea to start a business, right? And he's working on it, and he's got this whole business engine. And he spends four years while he's at college working on the business plan, okay? And now he's got this great idea for a business, you know? He's going to create a business where people, random people, can use their cars to drive people around. He's created an app. It's called Uber or Get, right? And he's very excited about this. And he wants, he wants a partner, you know, a big investor, okay? 
and um, he needs someone to work with. He's not just looking for someone to put some money in the bank. He wants someone who's going to be a partner in the business, help him build up this business. Right? So he gets uh, some business, somebody recommends, and this is a big deal, choosing the right business partner. I mean, that could be, you know, that's almost like choosing a wife. Like, if you find the right guy, and you get along with him, and you work well together, and he's disciplined, and everything else, you could really do great things. But if you get a guy who's a schlumper, just because he happens to have some money, you got the wrong guy. So you prepare this business plan, and you laminate it, and you print it, and it's beautiful. 130 pages, and you've thought through everything. Right? Maybe it's 630 pages. You're a genius. You've been working this for four years. And you get this guy, right? and, and, and you get together, you're sitting at lunch, and you bring him, and you printed one for him, and you give him the business plan. You know, and you figure he's going to say, okay, I'm going to look this over. Let's meet again in two weeks. And he picks up the business plan, right? And you go, oh, it's a nice cover. Okay, I'm in. So you look at the guy like, well, what are you talking about? I worked on this for four years. Like, take a look at it. He's like, no, you know, you look like a nice guy. I'm in. So you get very nervous. And you think to yourself, like, what kind of... I got the wrong guy here, right? Well, that's what the Jewish people did. They said, nah, you know what, you got, we're in. What do you mean we're in? Tell us what we're getting ourselves into, right? I've never yet had a student come on a Zoom at a presentation and say, yeah, I don't care about all this, I'm in, where do I sign? Like, that's never happened yet. And that's good, that's indicative that people who come to this place are discerning and they, so what is Nasev and Ishma, right? So, Rav Nevensal, Rav Vigdor Nevensal, in his Sichot Lasefer Shmot, gives a very simple answer. He says, it all depends on who's giving you the business plan. If your father gives you the business plan, then it would almost be insulting to read the whole thing through. Right? I mean, I remember, some of you may have heard that many, many years before we started Araita, started a different yeshiva. It lasted a couple of years. It was an interesting experiment. Shem sent that into my life because I was meant to learn all the things not to do when you start a yeshiva. And when we started a writer, I really had learned a lot from it. But how did I get into that project? Because I was sitting in the base manners one day, learning in Mechavrusa, and Rav Luchanzin walked by, right? And you know, you stand, don't stand, whatever, right? And uh, Rav Luchanzin stops, and I'm sitting here, and he says, uh, you know, when you have a minute, not now, I want to talk to you about something, right? Uh, you know, not now, whenever you have a minute, uh, right? And then he goes to his makam. This is not something that happens every day. He says, I want to, you know, much a question for you, I want to ask you. So my chavrusa looks at me, we look at each other like in shock, and my chavrusa says, go, right? You're not going to wait, so I get up and I walk over to Turned out that his brother-in-law taught in a place called Machon Meir. They were trying to start an American program, Right? And uh, he asked him for a suggestion as to who he thought could, you know, help get this started and somebody who'd be interested. And I had uh, just gotten married. And, um, and he thought of me, right? And he said he thought it was a good idea. So now I went to the yeshiva and I met the person and it was not a simple question. And then I, you know, I figured this is a great opportunity. I go get to meet with the and I, so I, I met with the Vachazin, and really five minutes was the question of the yeshiva, and the other 55 minutes I used for lots of other things. And uh, at the end, I said, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, why did Harav think? Like, there's 600 guys in this yeshiva. What made Harav think, right? Like, I mean, you know, I'm Shana Hay, but I mean, I assume he knew my name, but 
he proceeded to peg everything I'd been doing for the last five years. He knew about the Parsha Shir I was giving to guys at night. He knew about the Chabura I was giving. He knew about the Chazara Shir and Shir Kali. I, was, I don't know how he knew all the stuff. He knew everything there was to know about. It was mind-boggling to me. So when we're done, Rav Lichtenstein thinks it's a good idea. You don't have to look it through. Like, Rav Lichtenstein thinks it's a good idea. You're done. And even if it ended up being a bad idea, it was Rav Lichtenstein. It's a good idea. And I didn't... It took me years to figure out why it was a good idea. But if Rav Lichtenstein... So could you imagine you're standing in Harsinai and a Kaddish Baruch who says, I got a good idea. Can you imagine how horrendous would be if Am Yisrael said, Nishma v'naseh? It's exactly the opposite. It makes so much sense that we said Naseh v'nishma. But I want you to understand there's something much deeper than this. The reason that that is in this puzzle is because Mishpatim raises the question that I think many people struggle with. I get the big idea. I get connecting to Hashem. I get dancing at the foot of Harsinai. But you know, when you get to like, you're not allowed to cook on Shabbos, can you leave it on the hot plate? You have to use a second cup to make the cup of tea, right? You know? Did you have enough in your cup so that your yotze, the four cups on the Seder, is it 4.43 fluid ounces, 3.3? Really? Like that's what Hashem cares about? Whether I carry something under my elbow, is it Dalaramos? What's a big, that's the big idea, that's what's important. In this parsha, in the parsha of Mishpatim, when we get into the details, really for the first time, this is the parsha that Hashem puts in here. If you say that this is beautiful, then we're in. Now I want you to understand, this is even bigger than just Kabbalah Satoro, which is itself pretty big. This is about the foundation of healthy relationships. We spoke about this in a sheer, in a discussion we had about love and relationships. One of the most fundamental components of a healthy relationship is trust. You will know that you are in a healthy relationship when you get to a point where if someone asks something of you, you're ready to do it just because they asked. Just because they asked. My wife sometimes asks me things that make no sense to me. They make no sense, right? Sometimes, I don't know, like I'm downstairs in my study, I'm in the middle of three things, and my wife will say, I need you to come upstairs now. I'm in the middle of three things. But if my wife says, I need you to come upstairs, then that's what I do, I come upstairs. You know? And that has given me a healthy marriage. Sometimes, sometimes they will tell us, it's not accidental that when we get to Sefer Nushim, we kind of skip the definition. We don't, we don't understand them. We just don't. And we never will. They're smarter than us. And I don't say this as a line. I really believe that to be true. They're just smart. You want to know the single greatest piece of advice that I can give you for marriage? Some of you, somebody statistically in this room will be the first one from this machzor to get married. I don't know, for three years from now, five years from now, from that, right? Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to think about that, right? Edwards, I'm going for Edwards. Okay, right? He's already standing up. It must be. He knows, right? Okay, right? When you get married, David Edwards, I'm telling you, when you get married, the single greatest advice I can give you, they're right. Even if you think you're wrong, they're right. And if you know that they're right, you'll have a good marriage. That's trust. That's trust. If you're in a place and you realize that you have that trust, you're in a healthy relationship. That has to be a two-way street. If it's not a two-way street, it's a relationship that is 
off balance. You know? If, if you come in in the morning, and you're coming in to sit in Tashir, and you prepare the tozos or whatever it is, and your Rebbe walks in and he says, you know what, today we're going for a walk, everybody come with me. You know how you know if you're in a healthy space with your Rebbe? You don't ask questions. You're just curious, what's he going to do? You just get up and follow him. That's a big challenge, by the way. It means that there's an awesome, awesome responsibility when you're part of a relationship like that. So that's the first piece. We are now entering the essence of our relationship with Hashem Baruch Hu. It begins with trust. It is the single greatest piece that we need to discover. Do I trust Hashem? Do I trust the people that I love in my life? You know, it's no big deal to trust Hashem the morning after the six-day war, obviously. It's no big deal to trust Hashem the first day when you get to a writer and you're up on the roof and you're looking out on Harabite and, and, and you can see Jordan. It's unbelievable, right? And you're davening. I was talking to a boy on a Zoom interview this week and he said to me, it really blew my mind. He, he was describing to me, you know, I was curious like what he heard about a writer, who he heard it from. And he said that he was here last year and he happened to come by for Mincha one day. And he comes into Mincha and they're all singing Ashrei. And it like blew his mind. And he just thought it was like a special day. And Rav Judah happened to do the presentation for this particular group of boys, whoever they were. And somehow this topic came up. I haven't asked, had a chance to ask Rav Judah how it came up. And this boy understood from that presentation that they do that every day. So he, I, I, apparently he asked Rav Judah. He said, yeah, that's how we have mincha. Blew his mind. It's funny. It's just a little detail. Right? So it's no big deal that you trust that you're somewhere special. Right? But I have to be honest. The fact that you have been able to trust with everything going on this year, with, with, with walls and plastic and quarantines. And you know what's amazing to me this week? We had a really difficult decision to make. Should we have an in Shabbos? And I know, you've had so many in Shabbat Torah and you're so excited to go out. And this Shabbos was a difficult question. Should we have an in Shabbos? On the one hand, legally, we probably could have managed to get everybody out for an out Shabbos. That was my impression. On the other hand, it was a big risk. And we just decided, and I think I shared this with you this week, we just decided, you know, we're so close, we're going to do one more week, let's make sure that everybody gets their second vaccine, right? Nobody came over to me and complained. That blew my mind. I was actually prepared for, like, what's up? It was really mind-boggling to me. Like, that's amazing. You don't appreciate how amazing that is. So that's the first. The first is, can I get to that level of trust? Not just to trust Hashem the morning after the six-day war, to trust Hashem in Buchenwald. To trust Hashem on the road in Chmelno. Chelno. That, that's unbelievable. The Jewish people have, have lived Nasev and Ishma for 3,000 years. It's, it's absolutely... It's beyond our comprehension how people could do that. That's the fundamental essence of a healthy relationship. You know? The reason I'm married 31 years later and blessed to be in a happy marriage is because of that trust. That's the first idea. Second idea, okay? Because once you finish the nishma, you gotta, the, the nase, you gotta get to the nishma. What is the nishma? The nase is we'll do because, because you ask us to. But you're not done. And your wife tells you to do something crazy and you trust her, so you do it. You're not done. Now you wanna understand. Now why do you wanna understand? So Rashi says the following. The Pasuk says, mishpatim asher You have to place these mishpatim, these mitzvot, these rules, before the Jewish people. So Rashi, what does it mean to place them before him? So this is what Rashi says. 
Shem says to Moshe, right? This is a medrash. Lo ta'alel ta'atcha lomar ashanel lehem aperek v'alacha beto gimel pa'amin. Ad sheteiz dura b'fiyem k'mishnatah. Don't think you're just going to teach them these halachot two or three times until they get it, which, by the way, of course, is why I love Moshe Rabbeinu, because he's all about chazara, right? Okay, got to do chazara, got to review, right? But I won't bother to teach them sort of the deeper understanding, the explanations, what the mitzvah is all about. I'll just tell them what to do. Because that's all they need. They said, Naseh. I'll just tell them what to do. No. You have to place this before them. Like a table that is set and prepared for a person to eat. Has to be a set table. So what's a set table? What does that mean? So I saw a fascinating idea. I apologize. I don't remember where I saw this, but it's not my idea. Right? What does this really mean? Tamea mitzvot. That we have to understand the mitzvot. You know, when you eat, right? There, there are two reasons that we eat. We eat because we need nutrition. Right? We, we have to... We have to survive. We need to eat. But we also eat for pleasure. Okay? Now, nutrition, right, to get the calories we need to have energy for the day, I mean, you can have a few carrots and put them in a bag and, you know, you're on your way, you grab a shawarma, right? Pleasure is heightened by presentation. When you go to a table that's set, the table is set, that's not about nutrition. That's about enjoyment, that's about enjoying what you eat. People will pay more to go to a fancy restaurant because the table is set beautifully. They enjoy it more. Says HaKash Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabbeinu in the first Pasha of the first real teaching of Torah at Har Sinai, this isn't just supposed to be about what they do. They have to enjoy it. It has to be meaningful. It has to be relevant. It has to be inspiring. You have to understand what you're being asked to do. You have to develop a relationship with them. That's what we've been talking about all year. Right? Obviously, I do mitzvot because Hashem asked me to do them. But I want to develop a relationship with the mitzvot. And that is hidden in this week's parsha. Right? You have to enjoy mitzvot. Torah is not just something you do. It has to be something that you love. I don't know why there's so many people in this world who are focused just on the doing. They're in the naseh, but they don't get the nishma. I want to understand. When you understand what your wife asked you to do, and you discover the wisdom in it, that raises your relationship to a whole different level. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times over 30 years I have discovered just how bright my wife was. And I've learned to listen to her. I always find out that there's a good reason for it. Always. Okay? And then we get to number three, right? So the first is the nasa, right? That I have to trust. The second is the nishma, that I have to understand, that I have to develop a relationship with it. It has to be pleasurable. Right? And by the way, to take this to a deeper level, when you love something, you know what the difference between doing tzedakah and living tzedakah? It's not just enough to give charity. It's about becoming a charitable person. It's about it changes you as a human being. I don't know if that happens when we're just doing what we're supposed to do. That happens when we're doing what we love to do. And the last idea I want to share with you okay, is, 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 is sort of why, why the narrative stops. Why in the middle of the narrative do we suddenly have this whole list of laws, right? And that's actually not so, so, so... Rabbi Sachs has an article on this topic, 
um, a number of years ago. And he suggests that, that up until now, the Torah has been sharing with us the vision. It's exciting. The Jewish people came into the world and we said things can be different. We can create a society of ethics. We can create a model of how human beings should care for each other, right? But if you get so moved by the vision and you never get to the details, it doesn't last, right? Love is in the details, you know? And the attention to details transforms something that is average into artistry. And I'll give you an example. And we'll finish with this. I was, um, uh, many, many years ago, uh, got out of the army. My brother and I, you know, sort of had both finished the army. I was actually halfway through, but I had a break. And um, we'd both been in Lebanon. It was really intense. And one thing led to another. We decided we were going to go to Europe. We'd never been to Europe, you know, except for England. And we were going to go do a, tour, a little touring through Europe. My parents were so excited that we were out of Lebanon and we were safe. And they said, because into hate. My father actually said to us, listen, I'm going to give you a gift for a week. We were going for two weeks. I'm going to give you a gift for a week. He said, you choose. You can pick any hotel you want or any car you want. Pick the hotel or the car for a week. What do you want? My parents are in Chinook. They don't have a big money. Now, come on. You're 19, 20 years old. Just finished the army. Hotel or car? What do you go for? The car. Of course you go for the car, right? So we got a Merc. Okay, a Mercedes, right? I forget the model number. It doesn't matter, right? Um, we, We outran... We broke so many laws that week. It was just unbelievable. And I remember when, once we were driving around a curve in Switzerland and there was a car coming, uh, there, there was a truck next to me and I was passing the truck. It was one of those trucks, he must have been an Israeli. He was like, I'll show him he can't pass me, he's speeding up, right? And I'm not paying attention to the fact that we're running at a road. Like it's straight, but now we're getting to a curve. And I'm realizing that I'm not gonna make the curve and a motorcycle comes around the curve heading towards me. Now you think about the combined speed of a motorcycle and a car, which is a Mercedes, probably going about 200 kilometers an hour. That guy for sure lost his lunch. I got back just in time and saved his life, maybe mine, right? There were only three cars that passed us that entire week, okay? There was um, one BMW, which kind of went, kind of eventually passed us. Um, There was another Mercedes. He passed, and then there was a Jaguar. Vroom! That was really unbelievable. He must have been going 300. I don't know how he was driving in a straight line, right? Okay? So, anyway, we get to Paris. We gave up the car, and we get to Paris once we saw how the French drove, and one day we went to the Louvre. We went to the Louvre. We were in a very different mindset. My brother wanted to see if we could do the Louvre in 20 minutes. He literally ran down the Louvre. I'm not going to go there right now. But I was, like, fascinated by this. And, and... We're walking down, there's like this sort of one of the main corridors, if you've ever been there, and all these, incre- and just, you're just looking, there's like a Renoir and a Rembrandt. It's unbelievable what's on the wall there. And I see a, a small group with what is obviously a tour guide, and he's speaking in English. So I stop to listen, and he sees me, I said, do you mind if I listen? He says, no. He's talking about um, Renoir. And he says, let me tell you something about Renoir. He says, I want you to take a step and look really closely at the painting. There's a little like a balustrade, but we got as close as we could, like this far away. He says, now I want you to look at the hair in the painting, okay? You look at the hair, and you suddenly realize what he's talking about. Renoir practiced painting hair thousands and thousands of times a day until he became so adept at it that he could paint individual hairs. 
Now, most paintings, they don't paint hair as individual hairs. They paint it as like a splotch of gray or black or whatever. He painted each individual hair. And he, he wants you to look at this. And then you step back and you look at the painting and it blows your mind. You suddenly understand the artistry, right? That kind of detail is what transforms something wonderful into something magnificent, right? You, you, you get to Parshas Truma and you begin to see the details in the base. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? So the vision is important, but it isn't the reason the Jewish people survived for 2,000 years. The reason we're still here 3,000 years later is because of the details. It's because every detail and every halacha has a message, has meaning, has mastery. And the ability to begin to understand what all those details mean and the magnificent messages they hold, then when you step back and you look at the tapestry of Judaism, it suddenly hits you how incredible this gift that we've been given is. And that too, by the way, is true for relationships. You know, you meet a girl, guy, whatever, right? You meet someone special and you fall in love and you're overwhelmed by the big picture. It's unbelievable. The way they talk, the way they look, the look in their eyes. But as you get to know them, you discover the details. And when you discover the little details, it's the little details that make the marriage last, that make the relationship grow. And then when you take a step back, and you understand, sort of putting all those little details together, who this person is, then it blows your mind. When we started this year, and we all came together, we were just thinking about the big vision. You were just a group of guys from different schools, and you know, we have mincha together, and like it was amazing, and you're in the, you know, quarantine hotel, and, but then we start to get to know the details. You know, the picture of the guy in the middle of a movie who goes, sits on the side and, and, and is learning. You know, the, the person who, 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 because he's European, doesn't have to be in quarantine. So he's helping the him bring food to each place. All these little details. The, the guys who clean the chillin' pot, unasked. The guys who make the chillin'. The guy who cleans up from the table. The, the list is endless. And then you take a step back and you realize that group of people is sitting in this space manager. So, Mishpatim. Mishpatim is about the trust that whatever Hashem gives us is incredible. It's the Nase. It's the Nishma that when we begin to study it and understand what it means, it blows our minds. And it's the balance between the narrative, the vision, and the detail of Allah. When you put all that together, that's what Mishpatim is. That's what this parasha is about. There are more, there's more that we could talk about, but I think that'll, that'll be enough for tonight on Mishpatim.